Hey, Mr. Templeton. You... What year is this? 1927. Say, you're not trying to kid me, are you, Mr. Templeton? Most assuredly, I'm not. Your wife just phoned and said for you to meet her at Freddy Iacchino's. My wife? But Laura's dead. Well, she's the best-looking ghost I ever saw, Mr. Templeton. No offense, of course. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, I just want to apologize for the lateness of this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I was I was off last week uh, taking apart my butler robots. 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 Yeah, the memory <laughs> track got all screwed up. And, you know, it's, it's what happens sometimes when you have, like, that house full of robots that's being filmed by a VHS camera. You know, yeah. um, speaking of robots, uh, I just want to give a shout out. One of our listeners, Darren, uh, emailed the show uh, today and he was talking about how his four year old son is starting to show interest in sci fi stories and stuff. So he's been reading him stories at night and every time it says robot, he's been pronouncing it as robot. So he's trying to convince the kid that that's actually how it's pronounced. It's funny, but I just, I wonder, like, I mean, I guess no one's going to look at you weird if you just say that, nah. that like, cause like there's, there's worse words to mispronounce. You yeah. Know? No, it's not going to ruin his life, but I appreciate it. <laughs> and it's, it, uh, yeah. it I, I think it's funny that we're influencing the life of this four year old that we don't know. He's going to hate the twilight zone. Be like, nope. Yeah. Like you know, damn them and their robots. You know, he's uh, going to have to do a uh, presentation in like fourth grade about, uh, robotics or something Ro- robotics <laughs> the whole class is going to laugh at him yeah um, um so but yeah I, thanks darren for uh, sharing that he's, yeah, he's always a good contributor message uh, messaging his, us on facebook well i'm gonna i'm gonna tease that another person contributed to the show later and they actually revealed something i hadn't considered during this episode so i'm just teasing that for later uh but i want to mention enough. right now uh, before we started recording I had uh, texted uh, Kevin an image of one of my birthday presents I got that was Twilight Zone related. And it's this awesome action figure of Don Carter, who was, uh, that's Bill Shat, if you guys don't know, from uh, Nick of Time. And it's a little action figure with the Mystic Seer uh, machine. And it's awesome. And I, and I appreciate it. And I love, I love my wife getting me all these cool things for my birthday. But the one thing I didn't mention to Kevin yet is that she also got me a book that it has a copyright of 2018. Think about that for a second, meaning this thing shouldn't exist yet. So that that seems very creepy for the Twilight Zone. It is the the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia by uh, Stephen J. Rubin, who um, I saw this like they teased this a couple weeks ago somewhere. I remember seeing it like in the Google News Feed, where it's just an encyclopedia all things Twilight Zone. And so I got it. And actually, they, I guess the books actually arrived early uh, to the warehouse. So when she ordered it, they're like, "Oh, by the way, your book's coming tomorrow." She's like, "What do you mean tomorrow?" And it just showed up. So it's actually supposed to be out the first of November, but I got my copy now, so that's kind of amazing. And this is a third book I will not have to dig through every time we do uh, research for the show. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, though, I started looking up information for The Trouble at Templeton, and it's it's I'll have, to, I'll have to show you the book in person so you can see it, Kevin. But it's like it goes through and kind of gives like a Cliff's Notes of the episode, and it gives some information about the episode, and then it's attributed sources are the other two books I have. 
So it's it's like <laughs> so you check the clip like the little notes down below. It's like oh wait, I've read this before, but it has like um if you look up like you could look up the town of Willoughby and it will give a little description of what that is and what it was. That's used for. that's what I assumed it was going to be. You can look up bits and uh, pieces from the show and kind of see what episode they came from, what their significance are. Like that's that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, like I, I was flipping through and it quickly I saw Sandusky, Ohio, and that was the the place where one of the um a game of pool or one of those episodes with uh, Jack Klugman takes place. in. so mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, I had originally hoped that the, I, cause the way that the, the article was presented, I thought this thing was broken down by like date. So I was like, it'd be really cool to have a reference of something that happened each day of the year with the twilight zone, which technically this has, I just don't know if I can figure it out, you know, like a type of like, you know, like, oh, well, okay, today's October 5th. Let me read the entire book today to see what's in here for my, like, that's not going to happen. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's a cool he, book. There's a lot of neat, uh, pr- uh, promotional stills and information here that, you know, it might be something different than the other two books. And I appreciate that she got this for me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and if you want to see the action figure, I'll post it after the show on the Instagram page and uh, possibly a Facebook page. But trying to get people over to the Instagram page. So you know what? You got to go to the Instagram page to see it. <laughs> and uh, Paul teased last week that he found me something uh, Twilight Zone related. Um, and I posted that up on the Instagram. If you want to check that out, they are two awesome pieces out of the Twilight Zone pinball machine. And uh, they're actually sitting right in front of my mixer right now, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with them. But they're amazing. They're, <laughs> yeah, right. Like I didn't like I got I, I, I was digging through this box of just random stuff at the the pinball convention and I found those things. And I'm like, these are neat. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I have to buy four of them. So that's like that's what I did because I like they could be coasters, but they wouldn't hold up very well. And it's not like something that you could like, I don't know what to do with them. They're just neat looking and they said Twilight Zone. And how often do you find that? So. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure out something cool to do with them, but I appreciate it. But yeah, go check out the Instagram page. Um, I posted them in all of their black and white glory. There you go. No, they're, they're in color, but the Instagram is all black and white. So <laughs> as, as well, it should be. So, yes. um, yeah. so yeah, so uh, anyway, uh, we, uh, we uh, are coming from the lateness of the hour to the trouble with Templeton. Um, I will say that thankfully this episode is filmed. So at least we get that nice, uh, nice looking episode again. Uh, this, the air date for this was, uh, December 9th, 1960. Um, number one song, Mac the knife. That's, that's not correct. I was kidding about that. Um, are you lonesome tonight? Elvis Presley. That one's going to be around for a while. Number My one. stomach f- dropped. I was like, we're back. <laughs> Come back in time. Just what snuck right back in. Yeah. Uh, number one film. It's like, well, you know, considering the, the, con- the content of this episode, maybe Mac the knife is the number one song. We don't know. That's why I said, what yeah. year is it? I don't right? even know. Uh, number one film is Butterfield eight. Again. Um, you know, we, that was about the baseball team. We talked about that previously. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, so, um, things that happen on this date there, I hesitate to mention this just because, uh, you know, the, the further we go along, the more things stay the same. So I'll mention the bad thing first. And then the, the more interesting thing. Second, actually there's three things, uh, on this date, uh, actually on the 11th. So two days from now, uh, Richard Paul Pavlik, a 73 year old postal clerk from Maine loaded his car with dynamite and then parked outside the Kennedy family estate and prepared to kill president-elect John F. Kennedy. Um, and he changed his mind after seeing him come out with his family. And this guy was originally, he was arrested four days later. And so near miss for Kennedy at that time. And just in light of all the terrible things that go on right now, uh, it's just, you know, it's just, you think about like <laughs> people have been wanting to make bad decisions for forever and it doesn't seem, you know, you think that we we're, we're getting better as we go along and it just doesn't seem to be happening sometimes. So that's, that's kind of a yeah. bummer. Well, um, I, I would argue people, people tend to think everything is getting worse. And, uh, I would argue it's always been bad. <laughs> it's just, it's easier to see everything going on nowadays, nowadays with the internet. And that's true. So, yeah. uh, this stuff has always been going on. It sucks, but, uh, part of humanity unfortunately yeah i mean all and, we can uh, do is 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 determine how they determine how we want to respond to it you know and yeah. that's that's the big thing and that's your lesson for tonight uh yeah so i the- i was really the uh only thing i really found about this day in history was that a british racehorse died and i was really hoping that you were going to be like something terrible happened on this day uh famous british racehorse passed away on December. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but no, you went the serious route. So, well, so on, on, the, on yeah. so on the December tenth, so the day before, uh, for this or the day after this episode aired, I should say, Kenneth Branagh was born, which I think is kind of you know interesting because that guy, you know, he's a established Shakespearean actor, good director. His uh, Murder on the Orient Express is opening soon. Yep, that's kind of cool. But on this day. Um, the first episode of the long-running um, British television drama Coronation Street aired. It was originally planned to be a 16-part drama, but it became so popular that it's still running five or more times a week with new episodes now. There's over, it's 9,256 episodes and counting. That is crazy. That's, yeah, that is crazy. That's our next well, podcast. No. We're going to watch every episode in order. So just stick with. Oh, I'm, I'm joking. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think I can handle that. Um, well, they needed to come up with something to ease people's mind after the after the horse died. <laughs> so <laughs> the horse's name was Hyperion, by the they're way. Like, they're like Hyperion's gone. Shit. Let's just start a 50 uh, year long running um, like the English British soap opera. That'll cure it. <laughs> How amazing if at the end of every episode is dedicated it's to Hyperion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. That, that's his. That's his legacy or her legacy. I don't. I'm, I'm guessing it's a he. That's a, Hyperion sounds like a he name, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah. But anyway, that that's that's your information surrounding this. So horses died. The the president almost got killed. Um, the, the guy who directed the first Thor movie was born, and then there was a British soap opera. So there you go. That's all you need to know feel, about this date. I feel bad. I feel insensitive. You're talking about uh, the seriousness of uh, mass murder and stuff and uh i'm bringing up dead horses i just uh, i find it funny See, when it's you very look poetic up, that you're bringing up dead horses and you're like oh i don't want to talk about serious stuff let's just talk about some dead horses well weren't you talking about dead dogs or something last week or last episode i maybe i don't know i just that that's a favorite topic of mine so i do bring it up often <laughs> i just i think it's funny researching like the air dates of these of what pops up as like famous news from that date yeah and it's like oh no not hyperion <laughs> it's like so glad that made the wikipedia page for that day well it uh, also shows you what people that edit wikipedia feel is important you know that's like, true. yeah that's what i mean it just it's so funny like what shows up when you search a date well i mean not to not to get off on that tangent so forgive me for a second so uh, on on the other show that I do, Invasion of the Podcast, we're watching underrated sequels for the month of October, and I was trying to read information about Return of the Living Dead. There is not much out there on the Wikipedia about that series. You go to read about George Romero's Dead trilogy, there is a ton of information. So that just shows you how much the people that edit and upkeep Wikipedia care about other zombie franchises. Yeah, you know? well, and that... It's just uh, the only thing anyone ever talks about in that second film is the fact that you can see Michael Jackson in the background of one shot, <laughs> like doing the thriller dance. Not actually him, but somebody dressed like him. Yeah. But that's like all the information there is about that film is uh, look out for thriller in yeah. the background. So this tells yeah. you like the order of importance. So, yeah, um, you know, clearly people care about British racehorses and George Romero that, that, that I've determined about Wikipedia. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's get to uh, uh, cast and crew uh, for The Trouble with Simpleton. All right. This episode was directed by Buzz Kulik, who also directed King Nine Will Not Return and uh, seven other episodes beyond that that we will get to in the near future, I believe. Um, this episode was directed by E. Jack Newman. This is his first and only contribution to the Twilight Zone. Um, most known for writing and producing the famous show Police Story. And uh, looks like he was married to Marion Collier, um, famous actress. So, yeah, I, I guess at this time they were getting a lot of submissions from writers. And um, this one made the cut. Yeah, and I just want to mention he wrote for a TV series called The Oregon Trail. I know it's unrelated to the game, but I really hope the game was inspired by the TV series, where like if a, if an actor had a dispute, they just died of dysentery and they recast them. I would. Really I, I feel like that. they're both just based on the Oregon Trail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know the actual historical event. I mean, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. Um, so the weird thing about this this uh, this script that was presented by E. Jack Newman. This is his only episode of Twilight Zone, like we said, and. He said he he recalls writing it in about a day, and it's like, and after you see the episode, you're like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense then, and it was kind of like a lark. He wrote it, had an idea, and so he you know kind of admitted that he didn't put much thought into it, and just kind of hammered it out and submitted it. 
And well, you know, you know what's funny about that? It, it like I won't say it's the strongest written episode. Uh, some of the performances uh, elevated a little bit, but it does fit in with some previous episodes and uh, with some of the mythos they've already created around the Twilight Zone. So, got to give them that for writing it that quickly. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that, it, that's probably why it caught the attention of the producers and uh, and Rod Serling, though. Yeah, because I mean, it's something that like it, it mirrors an episode that he wrote, which we'll get to that later in a, sure. a lot of ways. And maybe that's probably why it kind of because I mean, it mirrors it, but it's not exactly the same thing, which I mean, we've talked about that before where and I know I'm guilty of saying, well, we've kind of seen this already. And it's like, yeah, but this we're all we're, we're going to get shades of a lot of the same themes and that that's just something that's just what's going to happen. And this is a this is a more favorable shade of an earlier story that we've already seen. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, uh, we'll get to it. I, I don't want to spoil yeah. what I, how I feel about this episode. Um, so yeah, E. Jack Newman, only first and only appearance from him. Uh, so we'll jump into the cast here. We have Brian Ahern, who uh, is, plays uh, Booth Templeton, your main character. He was a British theater actor who uh, did some silent work even, um, ended up coming over to Hollywood, I believe, in the 40s, and ended up being nominated for uh, Academy Award for Supporting Actor in a movie called Juarez from 1937, or 39, excuse me. And uh, I, w- I was really surprised to see he was married to, at one point, Joan Fontaine from uh, a few Hitchcock films. Oh. Very beautiful actress. He he seems like one of these guys that like and when we when we did the last episode, Serling specifically mentioned him by name, like an actor by name being in this episode. And I'm like, who is this person? And it seems like he was kind of like a well-rounded, like respected actor for his time. And yeah, but it's funny when you go through his filmography, like I wasn't really like even Juarez, I wasn't familiar with it. So yeah. like the the man has had a varied career and a very extensive career, but it was a lot of stuff that's been just kind of lost through the time. Well, and it, uh, yeah. so it, I I could totally see him being a big name then and just kind of falling through the cracks as uh, years go by, which also kind of fits this episode. But for uh, sure, yeah. So he he wasn't he was in silent film and they made the transition to talkies, which that is not always a given. So you got to respect that because he's actually. His presence is really good in this episode, and his yeah, line delivery is really good, too. I'd argue the best thing about this episode. Yeah. And he would only do television every so often, and whenever this script was pitched to him, he didn't know what the Twilight Zone was. So Sterling was like, here, watch a couple episodes to kind of get what we're going for, and then it clicked, and he was like, oh, I think the script is wonderful. But at first, he didn't understand what it was trying to do. And I could see maybe if someone who was raised in like theater and, and all the stuff that this kind of... I mean, this this is it, it's fantasy, but it's also kind of science fiction a little bit. It's not your typical fare, so I can see how this would be kind of a like a weird, like you know, like I don't know what's going on in the second half of the script. But it took Sterling to be like, no, 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 no. Here, this is what we're going for, and then he got on board and actually enjoyed his experience a great deal. Yeah. Um, so next up, we have uh, Pippa Scott, who plays Laura Templeton. Um, this was her only Twilight Zone. I wasn't horribly uh, familiar with her stuff, but she was in one of my favorite American Westerns, The Searchers, which I know you have some uh, recent history with. As in like three days ago. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, again, not to, not to plug the other show, um, but I challenged myself to watch uh, 30 Westerns as picked by Kevin. Uh, which I think you mentioned on the show previously. Yeah, maybe, because so. <laughs> it's, it's my greatest shame. Because uh, <laughs> it's I, the guy, you can listen to this episode whenever you want, but this we're recording this beginning of October 2017. I made this bold announcement in January of 2017 <laughs> that I would watch these 30 Westerns and then talk about them. And now it's October, and I didn't watch any of them until like two days ago. And I'm, I'm going to blog about it on our other, our other show page. Um, and I watched the searchers, uh, for the first time. And then, but I watched it after watching this episode. So I'm like, why does the name Pippa Scott sound familiar to me? And it clicked now that we're talking about it, like right before we started recording. Um, cause I'm like, I'd seen her before and I didn't realize I'd seen her because of the twilight zone. And cause the searchers was her first film, which was uh 56. And yeah. so this is like what, four or five years later. Um, and I feel like her performance here is much better than it was in the searchers, but that's, you know, I feel like Hollywood acting in the fifties is its own animal. 
And I shouldn't judge it because of that, because some of the line delivery is very over the top. Yeah, it's something you kind of have to get used to. Um, I forgot what I was going to say about the Westerns, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited you're going to get through them. Oh, that's what it was. Uh, When you're binge watching the last 20 out of those 30 in December, you're going to be very happy, though, (laughs) because it's going to be snowing outside and you're going to be sitting inside with uh, a nice desert picture on the TV screen, keeping you warm. It's going to be fantastic. I like that you just assumed that I'm going to have 20 to go in December, that I'm not going to try to space this out and be like, well, "Well, I watched two in October at some point. You're gonna you're gonna get that Halloween bug, and you're gonna stop watching westerns and start watching a bunch of horror. Well, it's just funny because it's like I'm gonna watch two in October, and then like one in November, and be like, oh, I have 27, <laughs> 27 movies to watch in December and write about them. No, I have a plan. Like just like I had a plan in January, but this one I'm gonna stick to. Uh, but the Searchers, you know, it was it was it, you know like read you guys can read my my thoughts about it. It's it. it I don't know how that movie ends up on like the top 10, like greatest movies of all time. But again, that's me coming to it in 2017. And, and my eye is not as um, keen when it comes to Westerns as, as, as like Kevin's is. Uh, well, maybe yeah. by the time you get to the end, you'll look back on it with a little bit of a fonder eye towards it than uh, you started with. Yeah, maybe. I don't we'll know. see. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Probably not, but go read the review. It's a, both of your reviews up there. Are, uh, pretty great so far. Well, thank you. Um, uh, so next up, we'll keep rolling on this cast here. We have uh, Sidney Pollack, who plays the director Arthur Wills in this, who uh, went on to be quite a fantastic director himself, um, doing Tootsie, uh, The Firm. Um, what else? What else they do? Well, he, he uh, Havana, directed yeah. Random Hearts, like did a ton of great stuff. The Yakuza with uh, oh, who is in that? Um, I know Paul Schrader, Robert Mitchum was in it that's a that's a fun movie paul schrader wrote the screenplay too the, the big thing that like i saw was like 1985's out of africa he he directed and produced that like that was a big oscar thing that year um yeah yeah so like uh, he he is a very well established filmmaker and has a, a very big history and he would act sometimes and he was yeah. he was okay in this too like he was fine for what he was doing um, I just but, thought it was interesting that uh, they cast him as the director, and then in 1961, a year after this episode came out, uh, he directed his first uh, piece. So I, I thought that was interesting. Hmm. His character is pretty funny in this. His his line delivery is way over the top. Yeah, I love it though. Um, so next up, we have Dave Willock, who plays Marty, the uh, butler, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he was in one of my favorite Universal Monster movies, Revenge of the Creature, the sequel to Creature from Black Lagoon. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and he was also in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and this was his only Twilight Zone episode. So he did the narration for the Wacky Racers cartoon in the 60s? What? Yeah. How did I miss that? <laughs> and well, you he was also in Johnny Midnight, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to... I, I always do a search online, uh, Twilight Zone, through their filmography, just so I can see what other episodes they were in and everything. Um, I, I need to just start typing in Johnny Midnight and just to see. Because <laughs> I feel like I've failed every time uh, I miss one of those. Oh, well, or Hawaiian just, Eye. Just, just keep going. We'll, we'll get there. There's some, more, there's some more bombs being dropped here as we go along. So. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, next up we have a uh, great name, King Calder as Sid Sperry. Like, which is the better uh, name? I think King Calder is the better name, but Sid Sperry is yeah, pretty great, too. I'd agree. Uh, this was his only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, I don't know if you have much about him. Um, his first credited appearance is in 1949 when he was age 52. So I think that's just interesting that he came to, uh, like, film and television work, like, later in his life. That's, you know, and, I, and for some people that happens, you know, but yeah. hey, just well, that's kind of that interesting. <laughs> That, that gives me hope because I'm still trying to land my first action movie role and uh, I feel like I'm aging out of it already, but hopefully uh, I can go the way of King Calder. Hey, if, if, if Stallone can still be making action films like, you know, I, I think you still have a, a nice 30 year window to get in there. <laughs> that brief 30 year window <laughs> till my retirement age yeah. uh, to do it. Yeah, I, I can definitely do that. Um Next up, and lastly, as far as my notes go, I have uh, Larry J. Blake, who plays Freddy, and uh, he was in a few interesting films, uh, Demon Seed, which is a a sleazy, fun horror film, Uh, Hang 'Em High with Clint Eastwood, which I may have put on your 
year of the Westerns list. I, 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 I can't believe remember. you did. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorite Clint Eastwood ones. Um, Earth versus the Flying Saucers and uh, the famous Sunset Boulevard. And then this was his only Twilight Zone episode. He, as he well. was in Johnny Midnight and Hawaiian Eye. So there you oh, go. Oh man, Larry J. Blake's my favorite actor. <laughs> so this guy connects everything. It's amazing. So yeah, that's all I have for cast as well. <laughs> yep, there there were a lot of background people, but it looks like uh, just flipping through, um, Sidney Pollock. It looks like one of his relatives was one of the bar patrons. Um, Nepotism. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what do you like? I'm sure I'm sure that one guy we've mentioned before that's in like 87 episodes of the Twilight Zone was in here, too, somewhere. Yeah. But Murray Pollock, it doesn't say that he's related to him, but uh, I feel like that can't be coincidence. Right. So. All right. Uh, let's. Yeah, uh, that let's does it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Pleased to present for your consideration, Mr. Booth Templeton, serious and successful star of over 30 Broadway plays, who is not quite all right today. Yesterday and its memories is what he wants. And yesterday is what he'll get. Soon his years and his troubles will descend on him in an avalanche. In order not to be crushed, Mr. Booth Templeton will escape from his theater and his world and make his debut on another stage in another world that we call the Twilight Zone. So the question for you, Kevin, with with, uh, Sterling showing up, like, you know, on the screen... Did anything feel out of place with his presentation of the intro? Um, he was very stiff. Um, his arms were down to the side. I think I know the answer to this, but I don't want to spoil it. Well, because after watching the episode, uh, our, our, our listener, uh, Corey, uh, messaged me. And he's like, did you watch Trouble Templeton yet? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, anything weird about Sterling? And I was like, I was like he seemed a bit fidgety to me. And then he pointed out the thing that it didn't occur to me. So if you want to guess what it is. Um, I think it's the fact that he is not smoking a, cig- a cigarette. Ex- exactly right. Like, yeah. Like, when Corey <laughs> pointed that out to me, I'm like, oh my, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. So it feels like Sterling had no cigarette and he didn't know what to do with himself. So, yeah, it, it reminds me of Talladega Nights where he doesn't know what to do with his hands. <laughs> They're like really stiff and his fingers are like pointed down. Like everything is stiff and... uh yeah, it's it's really awkward. Yeah, which I didn't pick up on that. I just thought it was odd, but I didn't figure out why. But I think I think Corey's right. I think it's there's no cigarette, you know. So good 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 yeah. eye, good eye there. It's it's just his hand placement. I feel like I don't I don't know what I would do with my hands, but they should have had him like leaning against something. I don't know. I, I this is my new favorite thing is uh, they <laughs> reviewing <should've... laughs> his entrance into the episode. They should have had him off in the distance by the pool. With the you know the the now Mrs. Templeton and he gets yeah. shoved into the pool at the end. That's what should have happened. <laughs> he was the one the guest staying at the house that his what, wife was frolicking around. Wouldn't that have with. been amazing? Like she laughs oh, and slaps at God. him. That turns around. It's Serling. Like Quick with a zoom in right to him at the pool. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> or he's smoking underwater. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I would love it. So um, yeah. So basically, uh, now that with these intros coming in a few minutes into the story, we get we we see uh, Mr. Booth Templeton getting ready uh, for his day, and he's looking out the window and seeing his current wife uh, frolicking with with another man and being real playful at the pool. And it's not Rod Serling. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and his uh, his what uh, his butler comes in. Um, oh, what's his name? We just Marty. Talked, Marty. And, you know, and basically they have a conversation about like they, they, they know what she's doing and, and Booth is more like, well, she used to be more discreet, but it doesn't really matter now. You know, and he's almost just kind of like dismissive of it. Like as in like, yeah. I'm an old man. She's going to do that. At least well, he, out he the basically open. his butler brings him a pill, um, assuming heart medication. I don't know whatever it is. And, uh, he flat out says, uh, she may be waiting for the day that these pills stop doing their job. And, uh, you know, that's what I get for marrying a younger girl. And so he flat out says like, he doesn't care, whatever. Like he set out to marry a younger girl. He doesn't even care anymore. Like (laughs) it's going to happen. Well, he even says like, he can't remember like one, like good moment with her, like to that effect. I forget the actual phrasing, like one moment in which he loved her. He can't recall. Yeah. He says, I, um, I can't remember one contented moment, I think, yeah. is what he said. And uh, 
Uh, he has a few really depressing lines about covering up his age with makeup because you find out that he's an actor and uh, he's going to be acting in a new play. And uh, he's, his life is pretty much bed, sleep, oblivion. Something along those lines, like really depressing stuff. And then as he says, he can't remember one contented moment in his life or remembering feeling love or anything. He remembers back to a previous girlfriend, uh, ex-wife. I'm not sure if they're, I guess they were married because it was Laura Templeton. Um, And he says uh, they were 18 when they met and 25 when she died. Yeah. And he, um, there's actually one of the MVPs of the episode for me is the music in this episode. It's very, it's very different. It kind of tells, you could hear, you could hear a synapse, a synopsis of this episode and listen to just the score of this and understand exactly what's going on in the episode. Like yeah. if you pick up on the uh, subtle music cues at certain points, uh, it explains everything that's going on. Yeah. It's a very light, like harp, like harp strings, you know, like it's very, I don't know. It's very like dreamlike. And then like, it, it's, um, it's very, it, you don't, I haven't heard music like this in the series so far and watching this multiple times. That's the thing that really strikes me is, I mean, aside from uh, his performance, uh, Brian, a Brian Ahern is how you pronounce it. Anyway, that's uh, how I said it. Yeah. Um, his performance is really quite good. And it, the music is like what really keeps it together for me. Um, so yeah, anyway, he realizes his lot in life that he, you know, is this older actor and that all he has needed is just to go and act and then go to bed and his wife just, you know, fools around around the pool and one day he'll die. And that's pretty much how he feels about life, you know, and he's very defeated. Yeah. And pretty much his one and only true love died 30, 40 years previous. So he's just kind of living out the rest of his life, uh, going through the motions. So he goes, uh. He goes down and he gets dropped off at the theater and you see he's playing in a, or acting in a play called The Angry Lovers and uh, Arthur Willis is directing. And uh, as he's entering the, the, the theater, he runs into Sid Sperry, who is I I wrote down producer, but I guess he was more of like a financier or something yeah. of the play. He was the one putting up the money for it. And uh, he's got a line where he's like, ah, you're late. The director's not going to like it. And he explains to him that Arthur Willis is a new director and he's a younger guy and he's got a vision for everything. And you can tell it kind of makes Templeton a little bit nervous. Um, but Sid Sperry has a, I guess you can call it a joke at this moment where he's like, oh, I don't care that you're late as long as you don't forget your lines. And he la- yeah, there's like 20 seconds of this low laughing that he does as he lets him into the theater. But his face doesn't it Like three times. I was like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> it was it was like a Fred Armisen joke, like like a Portlandia joke. That's not a, like it's like the anti joke, you yeah. know, and it was like and it just it kept going. Only one like, person was laughing at it. Yeah. yeah, it was very, very awkward. And it's and uh, yeah, I, I was like, what is going on? Yeah. So uh, he enters in. And he sees all the other actors and actresses are all sitting around the table and um the director is kind of going off telling him how it's all going to be and that he's going to direct this play his way and uh, everyone needs to get on board with his vision and all that. And uh, Templeton's kind of sliding in in the back and he finally notices him and he gets yelled at for being late. And uh, you can see Templeton's face kind of changing as he's being yelled at and he kind of has a mental break and runs out of the theater. Yeah, I mean, which... I, I get that you, you have a young director that's trying to leave his mark, but it's like, here, here's this guy that, you know, he may not be what he was, but you're going to dress him down in front of everybody. You know, that's, that's kind of how that felt is like, you're not like you, you might be the, the, the name at the top of the bill, but no one cares. You know, and he, and, and, uh, and the director had that, that statement of like, there's three important dates in a play. It's the dress rehearsal, the opening night and the closing night. And he said, everything else in between is important, but those are the three big things. And he's like hammering it home. And he just basically like just lets Templeton know that he is on the same level as everybody else, which I get to a degree, but it also feels like it's like, it's a pissing contest for no reason. That's how it feels like to me a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that's any fault of uh, Sidney Pollock's 
no, 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 his no. acting. I think that was just how they wrote it. They just needed it to be over over the top just to see why he would run out of the building. Because uh, Templeton being a, uh, uh, a a famous actor in this episode and in real life, you know, you would have to give him some formidable reason to run away so they kind of had to play it over the top so i didn't necessarily have a problem with it. no i didn't have a problem with it either i'm just feeling like that's it just it it i don't know if it informed the director you know it just it just felt like it was very much like just from a real life standpoint like you have your your lead come in relatively on time and it's acting it isn't like he has to go to the machine shop you know like like he's there and everybody's still backstage it isn't like they've refer- rehearsed anything yet but he makes it a point to to call him out you know but whatever whatever that's not really the fault of the script this is more i'm just thinking just from the standpoint of this like you know you're right you have to get him out the door and just yelling at him for being what 15 minutes later or whatever it is that's it yeah so he runs outside. As soon as he gets outside, there's an audience waiting for him out there, and they start applauding him as soon as he leaves the building. And uh, it kind of gave me uh, a feeling of uh, a world of difference, like yeah. that quick jolt in the story, just changing it and realizing that things aren't things aren't what you think they are. Just it's I don't think it's as uh, well done as the set being pulled away from him. That's still probably one of the one of my favorite things in in the first season, but it reminded me of it nonetheless. Yeah. So you have everybody applauding him and he's coming out and you you realize that they're applauding his performance in the play and he and he's walking out in the alleyway and everyone's happy to see him. And he looks over and sees that the playbill has changed to uh, a title called the what the Great Seed, I think is what it yeah. said, and it said like 1927's greatest hit, or not 27. Yeah, was yeah. it 27? Yeah, yeah, 1927's big hit. Yeah, and then it says directed by Barney uh, Fluger. Yeah, so uh, uh, so he's kind of like trying to process like what's going on, why did the playbill change, why are people like cheering me. And um, why is it 1927? <laughs> why is it 1927? <laughs> Probably yeah. the biggest. Uh, that's the big problem. Thing. Yeah, and that's and the beginning of the episode when we play the 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 dialogue from the older gentleman coming up to him saying, "Hey, uh, your wife asked for you. She's at the you know the bar, and he's like, so, my wife, Iachinos. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great name. Um, it is. And it's you like, know you know exactly what's going on. <laughs> what's going down at a uh, dude named Freddie Iachino's house? You know, <laughs> that's true. Um, it's and, a great character name. And it's like, could you could you name a speakeasy anything more like, you know, like like secret Italian? That's what it felt, you know. So so the older <laughs> gentleman's saying to him, like, you know, hey, your wife's there. And he's like, but my wife's dead. And he's like, well, she was a, you know, a really good looking ghost, if you know, forgive me for saying. It's like you're a creepy old man. But uh but the but the moment like there's a there's a, a soft moment there where uh Brian Ahern, like his face like changes completely when it when it occurs to him that his his original wife is alive and there's like a brief like i want to say there's like like a single like you almost see him start to tear up at the realization that he can go back and talk to her you know yeah. and it's it's a really it's a quiet moment it's really quick but it's powerful yeah um and to ruin that powerful moment there is a speakeasy theme bar down the street for me and i i think i'm gonna refer to it as freddie Chinos every time i go there now i like it <laughs> I, 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 I agree <laughs> I'll, I'll get a tear in my eye if you go without me. That's that's what will happen. <laughs> um, I'll get a tear in my eye when I see the check there. Right. Um, just don't get just don't get goes, the Kansas City. That sounds really expensive. Yeah, it does. It looked delicious. <laughs> um, so he goes to Freddy's and uh, he answers the door and he leads him through a back door and it's a huge bustling party. It's a, a big speakeasy. There's a whole band playing and uh, it's the whole roaring 20s look to everything and uh it's awesome i i obviously did not live through it but i have a weird nostalgia for that time period there's something about it that i just love so as soon as they open that door i was like i am in (laughs) well remember like in um the four of us are dying when they go to that jazz club like yeah, that felt yeah. very like oh that's like and I I remember at the time when we recorded that episode I said it, it's gonna it's kind of heartbreaking that you have this live jazz music and then you're transitioning into more of the rock and roll era from that point forward like you hear this like you know swing like twenties like you know whatever you want to call it I mean I guess swing and like I don't know else ragtime yeah, big big band like, big band yeah. yeah 
not ragtime, that's not right, but big band type of music. And you see everybody at the bar and like the flappers and everything else. It's like, it's, it's an image that we've not seen in the, in the episode. And you could easily see how that was really only 30, you know, 30 years before this, how like people remembered that. And it was very vivid. Yeah, and it, it's like us in our, uh, uh, nonstop love for the eighties that is happening right now. Right. Um, you know, it, like think about it in that way. Like the eighties don't feel like it's that long ago, but that would have been what the twenties felt like for people watching this. Yeah. And it was, it's a very, it's a very cool looking scene, you know, and, and I love the dressing. I love the whole setup of it. So well, I love the entrance, the camera coming through the door and how he kind of leads you into it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a great, introduction into this into into the twilight zone if you will so he uh, eventually finds his wife in credit to her she's drinking this huge beer like it's no problem and she's just destroying it like you know very much like she's dressed like a flapper and is very of the moment yeah well if i'm not mistaken uh please write in if i'm if i'm wrong (laughs) a lot of the beer that was made during prohibition in the speakeasy era a lot of it was very low alcohol percentage Cause it was all like homebrew stuff. And, uh, some of it was not that great from, <laughs> uh, reports I've, I've read about this period. Okay. So it, it, it might be kind of soured, like 3% beer. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but like, right in, if I'm completely off base there, isn't this the same time frame though, that like, because alcohol was being homemade and it was kind of garbage that that was the rise of mixed drinks. Wasn't that the kind of the thing is that they were like, they yeah, started yeah. cutting things just to try to cut the taste. So, yeah. yeah, like, so you guys can thank for all your fancy drinks that there was some poorly made alcohol in the twenties. Well, Freddie Iacino's down the street from my house, uh, <laughs> you know, $15 cocktails. I'm so. going to ask for a Booth Templeton. They better give it to me. Damn it. That's what I'm going to ask for. Give me a Booth Templeton on the rocks. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like a great drink. Yeah. Anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah, he sits down at the table with him and uh, Barney Fluger, the director of the the play back then, um, and he's 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 talking to his his old wife and he's saying like I want to go somewhere quiet. I want to make the I want to make the most of this. And uh, she's kind of looking at him like he's crazy. And uh, then he goes on to explain the situation that. You know, he's he's kind of traveled back in time somehow, some way. He doesn't know how long he's going to be there. And uh, they they don't really believe him and they kind of laugh at him. And this is a part of the episode I really enjoy is that you can tell that everybody knows something that Templeton doesn't. And you get the feeling that everyone's in on the joke except for him, you know. (laughs) So the question I have for you, and this is a bit of a spoiler did you notice what she was fanning herself with? Like the, the time that you like, cause I've watched this episode three times and after reading what was going on at the second time I watched it, it didn't um, occur to me what was going, what was actually happening. And it's a very big tell. And yeah. It happens so fast. Yeah. I didn't notice it, but talking about it, I can kind of take a guess. So she's fanning herself saying it's really hot. And she has a bundle of papers in her hand, and I guess I'll save for what it actually is until later. Booth grabs it from her and puts it in his pocket, which I did not notice the first time watching I, the episode. I didn't even catch that. But yeah, now that you're talking about it, it makes total sense. And I got a yeah. screenshot of what that is. You can barely make it out, but it's it. But when you figure out what's going on, you're like, it's right in front of your face, but I don't think they did the best job of showing you. But it's no, right that, there. That's interesting, though. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably... Uh, we'll get to that here in a few bit. minutes. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So uh, he's, he's kind of upset, and he's like, I don't like what you've become, Laura. And they laugh at him, and she... She gets up and starts dancing again and just having a great time. And, you know, she keeps telling him, like, I just want to I just want to have a good time. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. It's just the way it's the way it is. You know, it's what yeah. she says. It's just it's just I am. I am like basically not I am who I am. That's Popeye. But she's basically this is like this is who I am. And this is the way it is. Like she says it so matter of fact to him. Yeah. Like, and there's a line. He says, Laura, why are you so different? And she responds, uh, well, what did you expect? Which is such an ominous line. Yeah. <laughs> such a, such an ominous answer to that, um, which that was one of the things that like you really know something's not right here um, for better or worse. 
Um, so she's up and dancing again. He's trying to stop her a uh, little too violently. <laughs> got to say, like, yeah, that might get the cops called on you nowadays. Um, and she she rears back and slaps him. You're not calling and, the cops at the speakeasy, so I'm pretty sure you can get no, away with stuff. Yeah, you can get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> They're just going to throw you out to the curb. Yeah. Um, so she slaps him and he yells, why don't you go back where he came from? We don't want you here. And then he ends up running out of the bar. And at that moment, the band stops playing. Everyone stops talking. They all turn and stare at the door. And slowly the scene goes dark. But first the background... And Laura kind of steps forward, and then she goes dark. Yeah, it's a and really it, beautiful tracking shot of yeah, the bar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really well done, this this whole segment here. Yeah, and it reminded me a little bit of Elegy a little bit because it gets quiet, and everybody's just kind of staring off, and you see her advance forward, and then, like, you know, the scene ends, you know, and and that's it. Like he And he goes rushing back outside, and then the score picks up again, the wonderful score. Yeah, and, and he accosts some people uh, walking down the sidewalk. Yeah, because, you know, this is what you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he makes his way back to the theater, uh, which, by the way, quick note, the, the name of the theater is the Savoy Theater, which is the same name of the theater in Where Is Everybody? I think that's kind of fun that they added that they named the theater the same thing as in the pilot. Um, yeah. Uh, but he goes he goes running back in, and he looks around, and he, he goes inside, and he sees the director, um, oh, oh, Sidney Pollack, but uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> He sees Arthur Willis and yep. Sid Sperry talking and he kind of, and, and, and Booth kind of leans against the wall of the door or whatever. And he pulls out and he sees that he has something in his pocket and he opens it up and it's um, the script. The title is uh, what to do when Booth comes back, I think. Yes. Yep. And he flips through it. And it's very meta, which I don't think that's something you'd use back then. He's reading aloud the oh, scene that just we've happened. We've seen the Twilight Zone do it. <laughs> that's true. That, that's actually, you know what? We see it twice now, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. The, yeah. Um, and he's reading, and he realizes that what he what he went back to was basically an effort to get him to see his previous existence and realize that, like you know, that he doesn't belong there. He belongs where he is now, and that kind of lights the spark again for you know the booth templeton of 30 years ago like he you know yeah. like the the spine and the charisma and the talent that's still all there he just you know he just put it aside for a while yeah it's basically it's it's their ploy to get him to not necessarily forget about the past but to move on and really live in the moment and as corny as that sounds uh you know live in the moment and really take charge again and uh it, it's it's definitely a beautiful idea for the episode and it's it's not too different from stuff like uh, walking distance. Um, reminds me of 16 millimeter shrine yes. a little bit, you know, there's, I, I guess more than a little bit, but the, <laughs> the endings of the episodes are quite different on these two. Yeah. Um, so he confronts the director and the producer, like uh, the, he basically tells the director, like the director asks if he's ready. He's like, yes. And call me Mr. Templeton and Sperry's about to say something. And he cuts Sperry off of the knees and you see that you see Willis kind of take a step back himself and being like, you know, we're ready to like rehearse now. And he's like, that's a great idea. And then they kind of move on and you see that like, he's kind of like step forward with, Hey, we're going to do this, but the, you know, you need to respect what, I, who I am, you know? And that kind of, that was kind of where it was. Like he stepped back into being the person that he knows he's capable of being and moving forward. Yeah. And, he was able to let go of his past. And yeah. Kind of move on from it. So, so with that being said, so we're going to backtrack a little bit. So the, what she was f like fanning herself with was the script. And that's an interesting thing. I just wish that it was sold better because it's so fast like, that I missed it the first time watching it. I missed that he actually grabbed it from her and put it in his pocket because I was more focused on him trying to talk to her, you know? And I, and I feel like that's the part that because I had to, to read about it and then watch it a couple times that if you don't catch that, then it kind of, then the whole episode kind of comes off a little, little odd. Yeah. You know? Well, it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of jarring because all of a sudden he pulls his paper out and explains what just happened. Yeah. And it's, you're just, you're, you're kind of left in the dark. And I, like I went back and had to rewind it a little bit to make sure I didn't miss something. And, uh, I still miss something. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I do like how subtle that is. Like now, going back and talking about it and realizing what happened so subtly in the, the speakeasy. Like I, 
I can kind of give him credit for it. Like that's that's pretty awesome. But yeah, may, <laughs> maybe a little bit more uh, effort put into showing what's actually going on in but, that scene. Yeah, because I'd watched it with my wife and I looked at her. I was like, well, that happened. Like I was just like, what just happened? Like I was really and I don't normally get like that about like a Twilight Zone episode. And it was really like I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily hate this episode the first time I watched it because there was enough texture and performance that, that it's easily forgivable that maybe the story didn't connect, but then realizing what they're trying to do, the episode goes up a notch for me just because I know now, but I feel like the episode still doesn't deliver that. It's just that once you understand the context, it's like, Oh, okay, I can respect that. I don't think it necessarily executes it, but I can respect it. Yeah. And it, I, I would say that that's a, shortcoming for the episode because at the time when this came out it's not like people had the opportunity exactly as we've spoke about in the past to go back and watch things multiple times and to be able to rewind and pause and all that um so i i, I think that's kind of a shortcoming for the episode um going back and it it, it also it also kind of sucks because i didn't necessarily enjoy this episode a ton like i had a good time but once you finish it, it's one of those episodes where you're like, I'm kind of good. Like, I don't think I need to watch this one again for a long time. And, and that's sad because there is stuff that you miss. And especially um, even that old guy, when he comes out of the theater the first time and it's in the quote that you played in the beginning of the episode. And when he says his wife is dead, he says that's the she's the best looking ghost I've ever seen. Um, no offense to you. Yeah. And like first time through, you wouldn't even catch what he means by that. Yeah. You know, but I mean, he's he's a ghost, like basically. I mean, so I feel like in terms of an actor that was like wistfully looking back to an earlier time, it reminds me of the 16 millimeter shrine, which I really wish they could have somehow snuck in that actress into the into the speakeasy. That would have been amazing just (laughs) to screw with everybody. Um, So that feels like that, like wishing for times that were better, like in hindsight, especially being a performer. Right. But uh, it reminds me um, kind of more of like a passage for trumpet where it's talent wasted and you don't appreciate where you're at type of thing. And I, I don't know if I'd ever go back and watch a passage for trumpet again either, but there's, there's still, there's still good moments in it. And, and this is not going to ever end up on my, like my trash pile of episodes. I didn't like, it's no, just the first no. time I watched them. Just like, it felt too soft, you know, like as in like, Oh, well, okay. Lesson learned, I guess. And it didn't, they didn't have, I'm not expecting like a dark turn. I'm not expecting teeth, like, you know, but I'm expecting a solid story and it's there only after you take it apart a little bit. And I don't think that serves it well, knowing that this is broadcast like on one week on one night. And this was your first take with it. I was just upset. He didn't jump through a window at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> right he needed to yeah exactly no no i that's my big thing though is that the episode didn't scream i can't wait to rewatch this and see what i missed and that's that's the problem i have with it whereas like going back rewatching i think there is a lot to be seen a second time or even a third time through like you said but I don't think the episode's enjoyable enough at times yeah. to want to go back. And the title and that's that's where my problem would lie with the uh, with the writing on this because yeah, well, the direction, the acting is all fantastic in this. I think everyone hit their marks. I think uh, I think Buzz Kulik went above and beyond for this episode. I think it looks fantastic, and maybe that's just coming off of the shot on video episode last week. <laughs> but I was I was really impressed with some of the visuals in this. But I just think uh, E. Jack Newman had a good idea. Um, I, I just don't think it was fully fleshed out. Yeah, and it's, I feel also and like it, the title wasn't that great either to kind of tell you what was going on. You know, like I don't feel like that was a yeah. good a good setup for what happened. You know, that's just me. Yeah. Um, and there was actually, and I, I looked this up here, there was um, there was actually some original titles to this. And I'm looking this up in my Twilight Zone Encyclopedia, published date 2018. Um, all right, so early titles for this uh, were What Do You Hear and The Strange Debut. And I feel like The Strange Debut is probably a little better title than... Yeah, than, I, don't, I don't necessarily like any of them. That's true, yeah. that's That's probably the best. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just it. I don't feel like it's set up. I was really feeling like I was waiting for something to happen that was more like 
like the trouble with Templeton, like something with like, why, why is he such, such a jackass or something? He really didn't come across like that. It didn't really feel like nothing in this episode ever like felt like it fit very well. His performance was great. Um, I, I, I am never going to take away from that shot when it goes quiet with the speakeasy. Cause that's really, I was not expecting that. It was really yeah, cool. It was that really whole speakeasy cool. scene is worth watching this episode Absolutely. for. Cause like I said, just everyone and feeling that there's something going on that everyone knows except for him is just such an unsettling feeling. And the music, uh, you talked about it earlier, like, as things progress in the speakeasy, the music that's not the big band um, near the end starts changing. Like it goes from that dreamlike to almost a more sinister sound to yeah. it. As it, especially like as he's running back towards the theater. Um, and again, it's it's got a very positive end to the episode. And we all know that I love the negative endings on Twilight Zone. Well, yeah, the punishments for characters. But I, I, I did enjoy. I like every once in a while a uh, character coming out on top. Um, oh, there's one other thing I was going to say about Buzz Kulik, but I can't remember. It's fine. So he, he actually was on, on record saying the biggest concern we had was that we would make sure that everybody understood that she was playing a part, that she was really forcing herself to do this, to get him to go back. And when, he, when, when you read that, you're like, okay – when you get to that, that sequence at the very end, when it, when she steps forward and it goes to black and she has like that kind of like desperate look on her face that all clicks into place. And I can appreciate it a hell of a lot more, but watching it just without any context, it's still a beautiful scene. It's just one yeah. of those things where I feel like, like, and, and the, the, again, I know I, I, I beat this dead horse and its name's Hyperion. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like the context is sometimes what, uplifts these episodes and I wouldn't have that just watching them binging, you know? And, and I hope that people listen to this, appreciate this too, that maybe you come off on this episode a little flat, maybe you love it, you know, and then, then that's great. I can tell you that I felt indifferent to it. The first time I watched it, read about it, felt much different the second time I watched it and then let it sit for a bit. And then I watched it again today before we started recording and it played much better for me. And that, that, what that feels like to me is coming to a record that you weren't ready for the first time you heard it and that like you took some time and let it settle and you're like, you know what? This is a pretty good album. I, I don't know if that serves television very well. I think it serves films much better than it does television. So I'd agree with that. So I would, I would say that this, this one sits better, better like once you figure out what's going on, but the first run through is just kind of. It's it's not the best. Yeah, I think flat's a perfect way to describe it. Because, but yeah, I I totally agree. Having this conversation and uh, just having that whole script thing click, it already raised the my review of the twist at least <laughs> up a right. up a notch. You know, and uh, I mean it's good and bad. Like I said, I think shortcoming of the script to not have that stuff come through, especially for television of this era. Thinking back, like I said, people can't rewatch things easily. Um, people can't pause or rewind to see what they missed or or didn't. You know, um, I, I think that's a problem. But you know, it, it, that's what I like in film. Like you're saying, like it lends itself to that. Where like I love rewatching and finding more and more that I can. But I, I think I'm just conditioned to like. It, 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 these episodes to be so in your face with some of the stuff that when something this subtle happens, it feels more of a problem than it probably actually is. Well, even considering and, and not to drag this out too far, but like Nick of time is a very subtle episode in terms of what could be happening. But yeah, I, I it, don't, I don't think necessarily subtle it's up for interpretation yeah. at the end there. There, they present you with everything you need the first time and you make a decision, you know, this one, it's pretty clear what happened. Like it's not really up for interpretation. Well, I, no, it's, it's no, he not, physically you know, has a like, script at the end. I mean, yeah, this so it's not yeah. up for interpretation. Like he went back in time somehow through the twilight zone, you know, and came back and learned a lesson. Like it's pretty straightforward. So to have things that confuse you in that straightforward of an episode, I would say is a problem. Yeah, and I think that's what keeps us from the greater discussion of like best episodes. You know, like I yeah. feel like because I mean, honestly, I've never heard of this one until we got to it. 
you know, no, and that's, me neither. Yeah, so, so, um, the only thing I'll, I'll mention further about this is, uh, just, just a bit of context. And this is a bit weird. So 1927 versus 1960, 33 years prior, this would be like, and just bear with me. Cause I wrote this. I think I had a headache when I was writing this. So it was weird. This would be like Ted dancing, going back to the set of cheers, you know, like now <laughs> and it would, it would be like David Hasselhoff going back to Knight Rider now. Yeah. And here's the one that this is the darkest one. Um, this would be like Bill Cosby going back to the Cosby show now. Like, think about like that kind so, of context. Ted Danson would be going back and thanking everyone yeah. for making him so much goddamn money. And then <laughs> Bill Cosby would go back and apologize to everyone, right? <laughs> apologize? I think he would just grab some sweaters and some mixed drinks and be like, it's the 80s. Let's see what happens. Um, you know. Well, and he ha- should apologize. And Hasselhoff <laughs> would be like, that goddamn car ruined me for a long time in my life. Hey, he uh, got a great German uh, record. Uh, that's true. Out of that. um, I'm just trying to think, because like, this is going back to 84. And 84 is such a monumental year for entertainment that to think there's because everybody holds it up as like an esteem. Like you look at the movies that came out, like 84 is like one of the best years for everything. Yeah. And I just, that's the only thing that my context, because you mentioned it and you uh, mentioned it earlier about people's love affair of the 80s right now. That's how this feels to me. And and I feel like that's, you know, I, that's the only way I can put it in context is trying to understand like, like Hasselhoff going back to the set of Knight Rider and be like, oh, I'm back in 84. Oh, I sh- can I go back and talk to Kit and just tell him, like, Kit, you're better than this. Let's just get out of here. And he's like, no, Michael, I can't do that. You need to leave. Yeah, not to rewrite the episode, but how interesting would it have been if they took like more of a well-known TV actor and dropped him into this role? Oh, could you imagine you like, like Jackie Gleason going back to the Honeymooners? That's what I mean. Like, that, like be... imagine if they pick somebody like that. That would totally change the uh, this episode. Yeah, that would be interesting. But I, yeah. I don't know if it would be better or worse because, like I said, uh, uh, Brian Ahern is like. Uh, my favorite part of this episode is his yeah. performance, but I just, uh, I think having that preconceived notion of having a well-known TV actor in that main role would have been interesting, but absolutely again, they didn't cast them. So That's that, <laughs> we have yeah. what we have. So do you have any, any other notes uh, for the episode proper? No, I, I didn't take a lot of notes on this one. Cause like I said, it's pretty straightforward. A uh, few confusing moments. My notes pretty much consisted of, uh, Serling looking really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and yeah. we now know why. So that that's why. So um let's let's see if we could just read this twist. I wrote in my notes twist meter and then I didn't even put anything. So clearly <laughs> I didn't even know what I was going to rate this. So the twist yeah, is the you twist sound that conflicted is as conflicted as I am. I, I'm gonna, a two? I don't know because I feel like now that we know in hindsight what they're trying to go for, that's quite great. But if you're just judging it on what's in front of you, the fact that he saw his past and came back forward and appreciated everything, and I shouldn't judge this based upon previous episodes. We we we've traveled this path before, and that wasn't surprising. So you know the the fact well, that he, and yeah, I know you love Walking Distance, right? Yeah, it's a great like, episode. Yeah, you had a, you had a. I, I remember you had a huge fondness for that episode. And I, I think that does the traveling to your past a little bit better than this. Uh, I don't remember what I rated that twist. Yeah. But yeah. I, I was going to give it a two, but this conversation has kind of led me to appreciate it a little bit more. So I think I'm going to do a three on the twist. Okay. Like, is it more because of the, like the, the meta of like that, the twilight zone created a play for him to be a part of. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Like I, and I enjoy, I enjoyed the conversation and the realization of her slipping or him taking the script from her. And yeah, I'm seeing a picture on Google right now of her holding the script. Oh, so I was the first person to discover this. Damn it. (laughs) I'd like to think that I was like the first person to uncover the actual title of the script. <laughs> no one's, no <laughs> one's ever years. understood this episode until now. No one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's good enough. I think it's right in the middle. So two or three. Yeah. I think it is, is pretty much, I'm, I'm being nicer to this episode than I probably should be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, how can, how can people get a hold of this, Kevin? 
Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can message us on there or uh, join the conversation on our Facebook wall. And uh, Paul does a great job keeping things interesting and entertaining on there. Um, and you can always message us on there, like some of our listeners have been. Um, find us on Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. You see the uh, things that Paul and I are buying. <laughs> right. If that interests you, you can check it out. Um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com if you want to leave us a voicemail. Uh, let us know what you think about the show, any of the Twilight Zone episodes. Let us know what you think about future episodes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. And then if you'd subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Satchel, Podbean, any of those places, pretty much anywhere you can find uh, podcasts, we're on there. And if you would rate and review us on there, it would definitely help us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the next episode that we have is a most unusual camera. Um, like this, this feels like more, this would be more of like the twilight zone that we look forward to, like the odd, the odd, more, you know, bizarre, uh, twilight zone. So let me, let me just read this in my best, not Sterling voice here. Here is the, the tease for this. Make sure uh, your arms are as stiff yeah, as I'm possible. Gonna, I'm going to hold them down on my sides as I'm talking here. Um, <laughs> Uh, in the $28 a day hotel suite lives three human beings who have larceny in them from their toes to where uh, they party, where they part their hair, not party, Jesus. Uh, amongst the loot of one evening's caper is this camera, which they soon discover has most unique properties. It takes pictures of the future. Stick around for the development next week on the Twilight Zone. <laughs> and there's filters. You can add hats and mustaches and animal faces. I, I like the idea uh, that, that Sterling invented Instagram future before. Future development. Yeah, future development. Uh, uh, that uh, I feel like Sterling's above puns. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad. that's the pun zone. I I, um, yeah. I like that this is a $28 a day hotel, so this is like infinitely better than a $4 hotel. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. Um, like you expect her to be like, you know, like a mental to pillow or something if you're paying that much more for a hotel room. Um, so yeah, that'll be, that'll be next week. Um, I'm looking forward to this cause I like, I, the idea of always capture uh, using a device to capture the future is always intriguing to me. And I'm sure we'll have some discussion about, uh, stories and movies that do this. Um, so yeah. we'll see how this goes. Yeah. I, I love the IMDB photo is just a picture of the camera. <laughs> It lets you into nothing of what the episode's about. It, it's like, out. look at this most unusual camera. You know, so, uh, so that's going to be next week. So, yeah, uh, until then, um, yeah, I guess if you have to go back, make sure you order the Kansas City and, uh, like, I don't know, like drink drink 3% beer. I guess that's the one thing. Or, or, no, or something out of a bathtub because that's how they made a lot of the liquor back then. Yeah, so until next week, I'm going to go party at Freddy Iacchino's. I'm Sid Sperry. Remember? My money is backing this play. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, of course, Mr. Sperry. Uh, uh, I'm rather forgetful about names. Always have been. It's okay. Just so long as you don't forget your lines. <laughs> <laughs>